This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the AEW Full Gear Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on Saturday's Full Gear pay per view. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh, AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a buddy quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review Full Gear. And what did I tell you, Sidge? The night is darkest just before the dawn. We were worried going into this pay-per-view. You know, there was promising signs, but it was, you know, you were saying there's sort of weird heel babyface dynamics in the main event and, you know... Are the elite going to be elite still? Nothing to worry about. I was not worried about the elite not being elite. God damn it. <laughs> I got the full, robust, 100% pure faith in the elite. Um, but no, I did have problems with the build. And look, takeoff was amazing in 2019. I will be in the goddamn grave before I accept that people watched it week to week on the network. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You no. didn't. Um, world-class wrestlers can do world-class wrestling um, when they're not being booked. And I will give it two or three weeks of TV. And there's something on TV that I'm really looking forward to, actually. <laughs> um, but no, I will... This delivered full gear. My broad sweeping thoughts, it delivered the deep and true AEW feeling mm. that I've been missing since All Out. I will take the next two or three weeks cautiously to see if the week-to-week TV experience can be as compelling and as hot and as detailed and just as loving as it once was. Um, But this was definitely the feeling that I've been missing since Forbidden Door slash Revolution. There's obviously been some great stuff in and around. uh, There's there's always something amazing on Dynamite, even when it's a bit rubbish. (laughs) But it's the feeling that elusive feeling, and they yielded it to tremendous effect, I thought, across this pay-per-view. 
Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's always been that kind of vibes promotion. There was a, um, you know, I'm going to talk about it imminently with the opener, but there's a certain tone that can be established with these sort of shows, and then it just carries through the whole night, even when some of the um, familiar complaints I did think showed themselves on this show. I thought it was just a really tremendous time, and that's all I ever really want from a f- like an AEW paper at this point. We're three years deep. There was definitely early days, um, and probably into 2020, the real excitement around a pay-per-view week, and I think that's gone, and it's probably never coming back, and that's all right. But instead on the night, if AEW can be its absolute best self, then I don't know what more you could ask for from there. Like, premium live event is a weird WWE term, but it's not a bad one, I don't think. it's They don't have pay-per-views anymore. But this is that in AEW. It's a pay-per-view, but it is also the premium live event. It should be, hypothetically, the best thing they can offer to you that is live, that is just all laid bare. And I think full gear, at very least, especially regardless of your takes on the last month, achieved that. And, like, we have to talk about it. Like, what, like, could AEW prove that it is actually just going to be fine without that, you know, the he should not be named? And it was. Like, Hangman Page can come back whenever he likes. It's fine now. We know we can get to a pay-per-view without <laughs> Now, but in all seriousness, that was going to make, like, he was the ghost at the feast. The buy yeah. rate will still be factoring into that. There will still be conversations coming out with full gear. But there was a certain proving ground all over again that I think the show had to achieve it and it did for me I will say one thing that um, there was a moment in one match the opener in fact where there was a spot so good that had been that had been built across a program on TV that I thought yeah they're doing the right things in the right order but I'm not particularly electrified by this but they built a spot in the match around the story they'd been telling on television. And I thought that is absolute genius. That's magic. And it just sort of made me realize, you know what? I should be a little bit kinder and um, I should be encouraged to really pay more attention because they are still delivering on these tiny, small mm. details that I feel have been missing. But I feel like that one spot honestly compelled me to change my attitude a little bit towards the weekly TV because they're still really thinking about it. And the payoffs are elusive. They mm. often feel that way. Um, but it did happen. It was tremendous. And it made me think, you know what? Be a bit kinder because they are still really thinking about this. Yeah, look, this wasn't a perfect show, but I saw people comparing it online to the Revolution 2020, All Out 2021. It's arguably the best pay-per-view they could have put on this year. And, and like you say, I don't know whether that's because of the lower expectations going in. Certainly for me, and I know I wasn't doing the live stream, so it's a different watching experience. But the amount of times I've come in here and gone, oh, God. It's, it's four hours, it's five hours, you've watched zero hours. This flew by for me. It flew by for me. I feel like Forbidden Door was better. Mm-hmm. Just end-to-end, end, mm-hmm. never bored, no bad matches. This is an awesome feeling. I think Revolution was better than Full Gear. Um, but That's probably their best bit of the year as well, isn't it? Yeah, because so of the build and yeah. rich, yeah. the experience. This was, I needed it more, yeah. and an awesome pay-per-view. But I think, and I, I'll often say... Not wrong recency bias. Get all the dopamine, serotonin, joy you can get in this miserable hellscape of a world. <laughs> um, so I'm into recency bias. I think it's absolutely fine. Why not just think something's great? Mm. Um, but I do think there's a bit of recency bias. And mm. I think once the dust settles, um, Revolution will emerge as the best pay-per-view of the year. Um, before we get into the, the great opener in the in the steel cage with uh, Juggle Boy Jack Perry and Luchasaurus, we should mention Zero Hour. You had Kingston, Akiyama, Ricky Starks as well, who I know you've been keen to talk about uh, for his recent performances, not just on this show, but of course on Rampage as well. Yeah, just to 
broadly touch on Zero Hour rather than going um, match by match. And again, look, I'm sorry, I've said some of these takes on Twitter and in my Star Ratings article, which you can, of course, read right now on whatculture.com slash WWE. So I might be parroting things, but you can have more than two opinions. And um, that's just a really demented, <laughs> such a demented thing to do, that, isn't it? Having two opinions on something. What? Um, ultimately, um, like it was, so the mega fans will forgive me. Um, <laughs> the Zero Hour was across the three matches, never less than, really good, and or really fun, but also unnecessary. Come on, it's four hours long. I don't know if that's just the Brit in me who sacrifices a proper sleeping pattern to do the coverage the next day. Mm. Um, Again, I've always said this. I would love to go to America. Not necessarily to go to the arena and watch it live. Of course, I'd love to do that. But I'd love to just fly over, have two or three days to get used to the new sleeping pattern and the new time zone, and then just simply watch it in a nice place. (laughs) Snacks and beers and buddies. Snacks, beers, buddies. Um, not at like one o'clock in the morning until five, and just watch it and see how the experience. Well, on the frat house differs. for a nitro party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to see how the experience differs, yeah. you know. Um, but ultimately, yeah, yeah, because I heard like sort of when this. It wasn't this pay per view specifically. But I've heard this before. When it's like, man, it went past midnight. It's like, yep, that's when it starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. day for the majority of my adult life. <laughs> yep. One past midnight, I know that's when my alarm goes off on the off chance I've had an hour's kip, maybe, in prep for it, the physical prep I have to do for it. The amount of housework I do during the day on any given Saturday, like I'll, I'm a machine because I just want to be knackered. Yeah. I want, if I'm not doing anything, so it's pissing down all day on Saturday. So I was like, right, okay, it's a big, did a deep clean. It's like, right, deep clean. I was like, let's do all of it. All the washing, iron some stuff. Uh, I'll just, I was just, I was shattered by the end of the day, so I did get the sleep. But yeah, nothing less than very fun and very um, good. The five on five trio, uh, best friends versus factory match, was really fun. Mm. Trent bumped his ass off. They did the sequence where like Orange Cassidy killed them all and it was like a side scrolling beat him up. And the factory doing the hug was Patter in Danhausen in a good bit of earnest, unironic LTST being evil and actually being good and doing the suplexes and stuff, considering he's been a total geek this entire time. Mm. Raise the roof. All really fun. They'd done this on Dynamite. <laughs> and I loved it. But I was at this point going, right, okay, this is just inessential. Um, oh, yeah, well, Dan Housen has a spike now. What? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a spike. He's got a big old sharp spike. And he does <laughs> awesome German suplexes, <laughs> and he's built all of this, and it was a great over-delivery on expectations. Starks versus Cage was great, but the problem is that Starks was fighting from underneath. He had a T-shirt and tape under it. And the idea is that if this was the main event of a TV match, like fans would be really prepared to go on this journey of sympathy with him. But the context of a fun, inessential pre-show isn't necessarily suited to the kind of story they were trying yeah, to tell. Yeah. So it didn't really have that much emotional depth or this really sort of atmosphere of, come on, Starks, do it, do it, do it. Because the fans aren't in that zone in the context of the zero hour pre-show but the work was really strong um thought brian cage bumped all over the place when he had to at the end monstered him when he had to in the beginning and ricky starks is just in the best kick out face and shut down the performance center <laughs> shut down the performance center i've watched nxt um tentative call-ups if you like the ones getting trialed on main event yeah and they're doing nxt face after two moves it's like, <laughs> have you learned anything else in the fucking performance center <laughs> ricky starks dana brooke and me did it on raw on Raw yeah. after two minutes. Two it's minutes. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Um, but Ricky Starks, he's injured. He's tried to put Cage away with a signature. And he doesn't. he's not in disbelief that the signature that never works failed to put someone away, even though it's the most normal expected thing ever, hardly worth a profoundly shocked facial expression. Cage kicked out. He winced. 
continued to sell, and then he just looked directly at the camera and indeed the audience and just mouthed the F word as if to say, ah, this really hurts and I resent still being in this <laughs> because I'm in a war. And it was really, really good. And it was in context, the best kick out face. Akiyama Kingston was just nice. It was just really nice. And they did a 10-minute um, four uh, pillars, original pillars. He's the fifth pillar. King's Road, condensed, greatest hits. And I just felt like Eddie Kingston was genuinely worthy of playing them, which was a really nice story, considering that he got the endorsement from mm. Akiyama. So it wasn't like a blow away great match, but Akiyama really, just watching him go in and of itself made Kingston just look like a hero and a warrior and just an, an amazing baby face who's worthy of this kind of platform. And what an endorsement that is from Akiyama. What a great wrestler and what a legend. So it was just a nice time rather than a blow away great one. But some of the head drops were really getting my blood pumping. And did, I, li- I like the bit of Kingston just getting on the mic afterwards. and Yeah, fantastic. Had seven minutes, I think he said he had left, and he was. He said a couple of times that they were winding him up, but he just he thought, well, I'll just keep talking. So he starts selling the paper. He's like, I'm a hope my man Mox beats um, MJF tonight. And that gets some booze, and he's like, well, I don't care. I still think he's an arsehole. <laughs> and then it was like, and then he, but like again, because it just feels real because it's Eddie Kingston. I was just like, my match, Tony Storm, Jamie Hayden. I can't wait for that goddamn thing. And then he apologizes to Excalibur. He says, it's all right. I'm saving you. I'll do your job for you, Excalibur. <laughs> and then there is one last wind up where, and you're looking at the clock, and you realize, yeah, there is just minutes of the show starts. He's like, all right. I'll get the hell out of here. He's like welcoming, welcoming the hook that's coming from um, I, this whole weekend. I was more at the singles match than the tag with Akiyama, but the whole weekend felt a bit restorative for the um, for Eddie Kingston's momentum, if indeed there is any. I keep questioning how much of Eddie Kingston becomes AEW world champion is something that we all just want more than can ever realistically happen. But then he gets in his own again, and that's why you think it. That's why you think it was such conviction, because he looks like he belongs in the spot, even if only for a short like, stay. And this felt so much... I admired what I still think they're trying to do with Kingston as the everything's falling apart guy, but it did just feel nice to have the organic guy back, just really pleased, loving his life. Like There's a promo where he barely says anything before the match on Zero Hour with Renee. And he just can't compose himself. Like he cannot fathom that he's about to have a singles match with Akiyama, and that's he's he's realer than he's the realest guy in the room, and that's why I think you're glad at having. Yeah, what a legend. Uh, right, let's get on the main card then. Uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry Luchasaurus steel cage match. I'm still stupid because I saw Luchasaurus outside the steel cage and went, "Cool, that's over then." <laughs> Completely forgot about the difference in rules between WWE and AEW, of course. Uh, and a particular highlight: great match. Before I'm going to sound like I'm burying it here. Great match. Fantastic finish. You, I'm sure you'll go through, as you said, that the callbacks that they made. And yet, somehow, one of my favourite points was a one-armed man stealing a key from a referee on the outside. <laughs> what a guy. I love that. Christian Cage. I don't like people just, you know, Athena aside, I don't like people just attacking officials and doing that. Trying to be the little, like, just get the keys from the security <laughs> guard because he's asleep. Well, from, from Christian, I thought was was great. But what did you make of the match itself? Really, really liked it after a couple of early minutes where I was thinking, oh, God, this is going to be as drab as I thought it might be. Mm. The Luchasaurus Kane gimmick is going to eat this pairing alive, and they've put it on first because they want to give it the best chance. Mm. Hot crowd, steel cage opener, and even then they're not going to take it. But then once they just they just seem, uh, I don't know, find, and find a gear and then stay there. Um, smart to eject Christian Cage when they did, I thought, because, of course, he, him and Jungle Boy is the end result of all of this. But it did... I don't know, it allowed Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus' physical stuff to breathe in a way that I've realised we hadn't really seen ever because Christian Cage has always been there in the mix. Um, really lovely touch. One of them, if you know, you know things, but Jungle Boy, like, they talked a lot on commentary about how uh, these two had been friends since 
Jungle Boy was a child, basically. But the things that they'd shared, um, Jungle Boy knew that Luchasaurus' favourite match, IRL, is the Hell in a Cell from Bad Blood. And obviously Luchasaurus now playing this Kane-type character. Them going to the outside for the purpose of getting to do the Jungle Boy, getting lawn darted into the cage to do the Shawn Michaels blade. And then you look and you realise he's in the gear to make a point to needle his mate. I really appreciated that, and that's not really related to the rest of the story. <laughs> I just liked getting to see it. And then the way that they turned up the violence in the crowd were... Key to it was just how receptive the crowd were as well. I think why this has felt uh, inessential as a blood feud was because when you're watching these segments on TV, it's very much them telling you that this is a blood feud rather than anyone in the building feel it. Of all the nights for the fans to feel that this was a blood feud, this was the perfect night for it. A steel cage match where the, the young, handsome kid is bleeding a gusher and this monster just wants to finish him off was the perfect way to tie up this end of the story what like double or nothing 2021 is too long for the jungle boy christian cage saga <laughs> and yet this coming at the time it has has completely reheated it yeah doesn't it no longer feels like one of them almost like trademark aw things that have gone on too long this doesn't feel like that as a result of the quality of this match so i would actually classify this as a bit of an over delivery yeah, same here. Like, within that time frame, of course, it wasn't just they've been in a feud. They've went on a big journey together. They've won titles. Yeah, sorry, they, they were a team for, yeah. They've been a team, they've won titles. It really feels like there's been heft at a certain point. Like, they did build the idea that Christian Cage was a bit of a guiding influence and a father figure with the full gear 2021 post-match and the way they built towards that finish. So it has been really, really strong throughout, but the Christian Cage injury kind of ruined everything. But this was a really good replacement at the end when a lot of people were under the belief, given their sort of, the almost obligatory gears of the TV, yeah, didn't feel like, as Hamlet says, that people were really feeling it. It just felt like a way to prolong it. Um, but there was a spot in this match, which I thought, on the whole, was absolutely excellent. Um, the dynamic was great. The work was great. The emotion in the arena was generated and elicited in such a fantastic way. But the spot that I was referring to at the uh, preamble at the start of this podcast was... So immensely rewarding for me because my take on AEW, and a few people have this as well, I'm not saying it's a hot take, is that the addition of ROH has been that one thing that mad rocket scientist Tony Khan has literally got too much to do. He already had too much to do, but, you know, he's a very unique human being who somehow managed to do it. This ROH thing was like sort of the tipping point of, oh, it's just kind of becoming content. It's not as fun. It's not as creative. Rampage is dead. This ROH thing is the one thing too many that he's got on his plate. And as a byproduct of that, just there's a certain amount of thought that just isn't there because he's kind of not focused on mm. AEW as he once was and he can't luxuriate in putting on the best product. Oh, my God. So the heat angle, or one of them, um, was part of this wider story, is that Luchasaurus gets a chair and he puts it down as if it's going to sit on, and then he chokeslams Jungle Boy through it. And it's a great spot. It looks gnarly. It's violent. It's a heel-doing-heel heel thing. Um, this entire time, they've obviously had the idea of this amazing spot in this cage match, which wasn't really a spotty match, and I don't want to put it over as a spotty match for those who might not have seen it, but they earned the hell out of this spot because... They set up the chair. You think he's going to do the choke slam through it. Instead, Jungle Boy ducks away and uses it as a launching point for that amazing destroyer. Yeah. And it just felt like an opportunity to do something rather than something he himself had set up in the context of this grudge match where it's like, why are you thinking about doing these really elaborate, risky spots when you should just be concerned with surviving? The way that they've arrived at this spot and how they've 
done it on television as well, was just literally inch perfect because it was an opportunistic, oh, I can do this because that's there, rather than I'm going to try and do this because it looks cool and risky. Mm, yeah. It was majestic in its thought. The execution was amazing. Huge pop. And I was just so overjoyed that, oh my God, they're really thinking about this. They are thinking about this at a level that you never see in virtually any other promotion. Um, so I was chuffed with it. Um, and the match itself was great. The finish was, was was really enjoyable as well. Almost as enjoyable as some people who hadn't watched Full Gear live logged onto Twitter and saw, saw a photo of a bloody Jungle Boy in a press conference eating a dessert and went, oh, God, it's happening again. <laughs> really enjoyed that. Um, next up, it was time for the return of the elite Kenny Omega oh, and yes. the Young Bucks. <laughs> I should have got carry on my way with son really on the yeah. on the soundboard. There's time, plenty of time. We might get we might get sued or something. I don't know what the rules are. We'll barely get away with it with Carly Ray Jepsen. We'll stick with what we're doing. Um, Death Triangle, of course, defending their trios championships, handing them over. We all anticipated. In reality, that didn't happen. Um, I'm going to timestamp it now, Sid, so you can re- reiterate Pac's uh, enjoyment of the finish to this yeah. match. Uh, and the fact it's now going to be the first match in a best of seven series between these six men. I'm going to try not to talk too much about that because it's preview fodder, but they could step it up. They six, could six previews fodder. <laughs> they could yes. build so many spots, subvert so many spots, work an injury, step it up. Like this is going to be majestic, and I'm going to tell you why on Wednesday. All going well. Yeah. Um. Oh my god. This match itself. And the uh, just the whole presentation and the vibe around it was absolutely perfect. I've got one minor complaint. One minor complaint. I wish they'd played the opening a cappella of Carry On My Wayward Son and then lit them up because there was that sort of double pop that almost neutralized the other. They could have went pop, double pop. <laughs> <laughs> they could have got the Simon Gotch Tatey's pop. If they'd uh, just done it one after the other, but I, was, <laughs> but I was too busy trying to register two amazing things at once. Yeah, it could have built that pop a little bit better, but it was still this absolutely incredible moment. I love the elite in their nerdy ways. <laughs> Watching Matt Jackson sing, <laughs> yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic. It was just a great vibe. Was it Nick on the outside who hits a move, waves at the camera, and then someone offers him a drink, and he's like, "Diet." <laughs> <laughs> So this was the presentation was great, phenomenal to have them back. Um, like even Nakazawa and Callas coming out, it was like ah, it's like running into the clown mate. <laughs> <laughs> the gang's back together. So I wouldn't necessarily go for a pint with you, but in a group context, oh, it's that dickhead. Yeah, ah, yeah. Come on, come on. Even come the on. commentators were a bit like that with Cal- like obviously they would normally hate him when the yeah. full heel Omega run, but they were like. Oh, is this guy back? And because he, he wasn't so overbearing because they're baby faces right now, they were sort of, ah, oh, they are done. Hey, hey, yeah, yeah. Did he steal, yeah. Did he steal, it? steal Excalibur's got to give the people what they want? Excalibur yeah. had a little, little word with him. I like that. <laughs> Careful. Like that. <laughs> uh, this was just immensely rewarding, completely electrifying. I actually thought the all-out tournament final was a better end-to-end match, tighter, relentless, the storytelling detail for, like, Elite Law Nerds was just amazing, and the execution in that match was incredible. This was more spectacular, but it did have that, right, come on, why is Penta just standing there for Nick Jackson? All right, okay, it's worth it. It is worth it to have him stand there a little bit conveniently too long just so Nick Jackson can do this absolutely incredible hurricane runner from the top rope to the floor. Like, absolutely ridiculous. 
So there was more hollow, spectacular moments in this than the All Out, but this was still absolutely phenomenal. This was still absolutely great. And then there are moments where, converse to what I've just said, or conversely, like there are moments in this match which was just incredible. Where I'm thinking, how does how do you do this? And it's not contrived. Like the way they, the positioning and the timing and the way they arranged the triple tombstone spot, I was just standing and applauding and almost weeping <laughs> at how wonderfully that was put together and it didn't really feel contrived. Um, Pac and Omega feel somehow nostalgic and futuristic all at once. Yeah. And they've been doing this for like three years and you still feel like I've never seen anything like this before. The execution, the athleticism, the pace. Like they are so good in the ring together that they're almost too good for their own good. Like, Pax whipped German suplex Kenny Omega landed on his goddamn head. Oh my god! It's like <laughs> calm down, lads. Like you're too fast, you're too explosive. He's got like a year built up in him now, Omega, hasn't he? He's in Dominion 2018 shape, and I watch this man like a hawk, scrutinizing where he's going to be at going forward. And the wonderful answer to that is he's going to go fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He does the spot a lot where, especially in the trios and tag context, where someone's hunched over his corner, he flips over them and does that lucha roll-through spot. It was He looked like Sonic the f***ing Hedgehog. <laughs> it was like a bullet of, oh, he's explosive, he's fast, he's rapid, he's the best athlete all over again. Because it's weird, the evolution of Omega's like physique. If you go back and watch it in 2021, it was impressive at the time. It was visible at the time. How are you working at that standard? when you've that broken and his performance here just brought into focus how impressive it was in 2021 and got me so hyped about his future and his plans because the guy looks like Sonic the Hedgehog just rolling <laughs> around just rampaging into people's faces with the V trigger um yeah this match was absolutely phenomenal the storyline was great because they built it in such a way that whenever Pac and Omega came back into each other's orbit you just knew it was special and the finish, the execution of it, helps enormously that it was Rick Knox, but the way they manufactured it was great. And uh, I want to talk about the post-match scene. You've got a time stamp now. I'm going to have a little bit of fun at Geordie swearing because it's funny, uh -huh. and I'm so easily pleased, but swearing is cool all of the time. So the finish happens. Yeah, somehow I haven't seen it. The pack hands Phoenix the hammer like three minutes after you think he's refused it and after all his TV build where he's like, no, I don't want to do it. My favorite bit of the whole thing, by the way. Yeah. That, uh, he threw it away and then he took it the second time. I would have never, ever seen that coming. It's That's AEW. so great. He's supposed to fantasy book the first bit and then they're supposed to surprise you with a bit. That yeah. That was this. So he puts the hammer in the face the second he's about to do the one-winged angel so that he's, Omega's in motion to do it. Boom, hammer. And that, that allows Phoenix to roll through and pin him. In the aftermath... Right, <laughs> and I'm going to just have fun at the swearing, but it's more than that. He goes over to uh, Phoenix. He's got this... I've never seen Pac more delighted in my life. <laughs> it's such great, patient character work. How he's just never really done this. But he's like, you f***ing did it! <laughs> <laughs> you did it! And it was perfect! I'm f***ing proud of you! <laughs> and Pac's delighted, and Phoenix is like, yeah, I kind of like that, actually. <laughs> and you can see... Nick Jackson and Matt Jackson, and they're kind of motioning to each other. Did he use that hammer? Is that why we've got beat? And you can see the quiet devastation in the middle of the ring, and they're trying to reconcile what had happened. Death triangle, cackling bastards in the corner. And the fact that this post-match scene played out for a nice 60 seconds, it was like, the match you've just watched really mattered to the people in it, and I just wish they could like adapt some of this energy into TV. 
because the match really mattered and it was awesome. And this is the elite level of thinking that I've just missed so much. Yeah, like the elite just, they cast spells on me as a viewer. Because like the music hits and they cut like the video pack, the tick, the tick talk and the video package hits. And I'm like, oh God, these are dickheads. Like, I, just, I, just, I don't like it. I don't like it at my core, right? And then they come out and like as soon as I see the faces, Omegas especially, I, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then like the young books are singing the lyrics. Like, I hate that. I hate watching wrestlers sing. There's, it's a weird like quirk of mine that I just I, Hogan used to do it in WCW and making me cringe when he would literally chop down the edge like the mountain with the edge of his hand oh, how am I like and I see wrestlers doing it Paige does it as well now Ugh. and then like the match starts and they're like the there's their souls in the Prudential Centre going fuck CM Punk because I know fuck you actually uh, CM Punk walks out there you'd absolutely shit yourself and come at the same time if he even stood on the stage fuck you but then I'm watching the match, and I'm like, oh, I get it, because these are absolutely incredible. And then they lose, and I was just marvelling at the booking. Like, tremendous finish, and like, really, really happy they'd lost. Had my expectation totally subverted. Yeah. But in the best possible way. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm thinking, this is brilliant. Punk is gone. Page is on the shelf. Get Omega back in the singles. Get the Young Bucks back in the tags. I'm actually really glad this is over. And then they cast another spell, because you see, oh, no, six more times. That's much better, in fact. Like, there is no... It's impossible by the end to dislike anything they are, because they are just that magic. Yeah. It go, like, there's so many things that goes against what I love about... Not wrestling, specifically. I'm, it's not a cornet thing. It's, it's them. Assholes. But Omega, in particular, casts spells on me, yeah. because then the next day, when the Wrestle Kingdom, like... There's that, it's home with the XFL flag. Like, New Japan, New Japan. Because <laughs> it's Omega's in the rescue. New Cards. I was watching New Japan all along, actually, especially during the pandemic. Clap crowds are going to be fine because Omega's in front of them. Like, I just, the whole thing, like, the, it is, I wanted them all back. I, I know I was all like, all or nothing. And I still think I believe in that, actually, because I miss Punk terribly. But I miss the Elite too. I miss Kenny Omega, especially. The, them being back is it's huge. It's My absolutely well. huge. Oh, they look fantastic. Like, uh, the whole point, I think, was to, like, we were talking about the t shirt this morning. But um, the details of the gear is that it's just the E from the like All Elite logo. Yes. That's their new. That's their new Elite logo. I guess that's inspired. A, a really good thing has come from a really awful one. E. <laughs> we had concerns going into this about the prestige of the trios titles, the idea that Death Triangle are just getting beat all the time. They're not worthy of champions. And then both of those things are now great. Yeah, the trios title. They've got the potential to launch them with this series as just the coolest, most must see. Belts, championships, and wrestling that feel the most fiercely contested. And Death Triangle, all on the same page, being bastards as champions. You know they're going to lose, but you, in the end, but I'm still taking them way more seriously than I did a week ago. Like, majestic. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, they probably should call them Dark Triangle now. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, they're going to go on this journey. And I love the graphic when they're like, you know, match, 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 match. And then they were like, match five if necessary, match six. And I was like, they're all necessary. So we'll have seven. Thank you very much. Um, and I think they're going to do trios, Escalera, De La Muerte. Yeah, in, the seventh. In the young, I'm going to say this all again on the preview. Please forgive me, mega fans. Trios Escalera de la Muerte in the Young Bucks home state. Oh my God. Um, this is what you do, though. You, yeah. It might not happen, but you fantasy book it because yeah. you're so hyped on the prospect. Well, because I think they're going to go 3 0 up. I think Death Triangle are going to go 3 0 up as well. Right, and they're, they're, Kenny, we talked about this in the preview. The elite, goddamn love, Rust Law. But this is the best way to do Rust it. It's, it's not having bad matches. Like, it's proven from yeah. AEW's original run. People just want to see the Elite being the Elite. You cannot sell to the Dark Order. But what you can do is have the best matches and lose them. And that be the Rust. That's this, how they do it. I honestly think from them is a concerted effort and a bit of populism. They haven't just lost clean and say, I do still believe in ourselves because the general dumbass American TV viewer will say, oh, losers. Yeah. 
they're getting cheated out of it now. They've got the canvas thing. I really think they're making a bid for a bit of a populist run, um, being a bit broader. And as much as I love the deep detail, and I don't think it's going away, I think this is the smartest way to do it. Yeah, I do like the idea of, yeah, either they go 3 0 down or whatever. I think obviously we all agree that we're probably going to win the, the, the best of seven series. But the idea of them doing that at the end of the year or whatever and be like, oh, finally, right. Death Triangle sorted. 2023. Right, let's re go with this. Tw- oh, the House of Black's back. Oh, yeah. for Christ's sake. The division just, feels alive, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. There, as well, just like from a, you know, we talk about the, all the creative elements and all the things, and we'll, there will be loads of preview time dedicated to this. This is a conscious. Um, you know, this is the elite reminding everybody that they're stars, and this is going to be a test of their muscle as stars, which was a big thing optics-wise because CM Punk was the guy credited for drawing all the big houses and the big pay-per-view mm-hmm. numbers and stuff. They are now actively putting themselves in his spot. They're saying not only are we back, but Tony Khan was right to pick us. All the markets have gone soft, right? But they are now advertising themselves for six, not consecutive, but there's a one yeah. gap. But they're the headline draw. They're a reason to buy tickets to the next six Dynamites. So these crowds that we've also been highlighting that have been down a little bit or the atmosphere's not been the same in the building, the elite are gladly putting themselves in the line of fire. There's, you've got six Kenny Omega and the Young Book experiences. We drew Madison Square Garden in 2019 and we weren't even on the card. Now, with business like visibly soft, let's see if we can get people back in and prove ourselves as the draws. Like It's not just that AEW didn't need CM Punk because of your tastes, turns out business-wise we don't even will prove that. So I think that's like a really, it's a it's the perfect kind of flex because creatively it's going to generate all these awesome matching things to talk about. But business-wise, we're going to see something. We're going to learn a lot from this. The Chicago tickets are already selling a little bit in a, different, in, a, in a late surge pattern that we really don't see. Yeah. I've I got, got to admit, I went on a bit of a roller coaster here because going into it, I had my issues with, with the Young Bucks, in particular in all this of like, your EVPs, you shouldn't have done what you did. They and didn't I'm not do anything? Gonna, I know, but they, they, with all this speculation... Have on record, and, on a recorded podcast, yeah. they did nothing. People have put their necks and reputations on the line. They didn't do a thing. But the, all the, with all the speculations running around, like, how am I going to feel about all this? And they come out, and I'm like, oh, great. You can have your own like, opinions, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. No, yeah, that's, yeah. A good, that's a good point to make. They come out, and I'm like, oh, actually, no, I'm great. I'm so happy they're all back. Look at them. Look at what an amazing reaction they've got. Look at how much good time they're having. And then there's the, the CM Punk chance and all that. And then there's that bit with the sequence with, I can't remember which one of the young books it was, a, a bit of a convoluted one with Ray Phoenix, and then they do the, 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 that, and I'm, I'm a bit like, oh, I'm not sure if I want this. And then, like you say, they get to the triple tombstone spot, and all the, I'm, I'm not going to run through all the amazing spots they do in there. And I was like, there we go. Right, that's what I wanted. That, I should enjoy. I want to enjoy the wrestling. It, yeah. it sounds like such a basic take and such a, um, pass it on, just enjoy the wrestling, guys. But <laughs> I was just like... There we go. That's what I want. And then, the, the, like you say, the prospect of getting this six more times is ridiculous. And uh, I, I saw your... Did you tweet about Escalera de la Muerte? Yeah, I did. I. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, yep, sold. Absolutely. So. Might not even happen. One more thing. And I know this is preview fodder. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not the only person in good faith to have said, amazing match, great to have them back. I could do without that bit of the match that they do with the Lucha Brothers every single time. I noticed that quite a lot on my Twitter timeline. Um, so maybe they'll realize, right, let's not take the piss. Because in theory, they're going to do like 30 seconds of that, 60 in the next match, two minutes. <laughs> and maybe they'll realize people aren't into that yeah. anymore. Um, but yeah, you are not the only person mm. who have had an issue with that one. All right, let's move on next to the uh, TBS championship match. It was... Oh, I'm sorry. They are such dicks. 
and they built their PWG personas doing this. <laughs> they'll yeah. do they'll do it for ten minutes. Yeah, well, and double you, down, treble down. Actually, they'll do it for ten minutes, and by the eighth, you'll be like, "This is amazing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We'll be fantasy booking a, a, a ten minute stretch of something. Uh, so yeah, next it was champion versus champion actually uh, for the TBS Championship. Nyla Rose versus Jade Cargill. Uh, hell of an entrance from. I mean, I love both their entrances. Thundercat was the Thundercats references from yeah, Jade yeah. Cargill, and uh, yeah, Nyla Rose coming out. I am. Um, I like Vicky Guerrero. Now, because uh, she's in the f***ing judgment day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that was weird, right? WWE merch on AEW pay for you, but it turns out that makes total sense, doesn't it? She can wear an I'll Be Your Mommy t-shirt and yeah. that not be something sexual with Dominic Mysterio, actually. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could just be a nice thing, in fact. Um, but what did you make of the match itself? And the entrances were the best part. It, it wasn't good, right? No. It, um, the, and what's worse is that it's hard not to speculate that Tony Khan thought it wouldn't be very good. Something has to die after a hot mm. elite match. It used to be a Cody match, I think, more than the elite, but the elite... Um, oh, no, it was the Elite Revolution 2020. Yeah, of course it was, yeah, yeah. Um, something always has to go out there to die or at least fight, uh, like, fight from underneath. And he has no problem letting the women be those poor victims. And, the, like, this wasn't a great match, and it wasn't that wasn't the only reason, but I think you have to lay some blame at the feet of the, the layout of the card here. Um, and it just... The chemistry wasn't ever really right, and I I felt for them a little bit because you could see this is awful. This they're pros. Uh, always the usual caveat. I've never taken book my goddamn life. You could see them trying to get on the same page and they couldn't do it, and that was the worst mm. thing. They had all these sequences in mind, or they had these big because like this was s- theoretically a different proposition for Jade Cargo. Yeah. It was supposed to be this. Well, I've never had to take on somebody of equal or greater power before, and they just never really got to telling that story because every time they tried something, it just fell apart a little bit, or there was that second hesitation. I got Sidric Brain for a second on a Jade Cargo clothesline that wasn't. It was like, swing your arm, mate. Yeah. Like, you are, you are jacked, and you could kill me with one punch, so swing your arm at Nyla Rose. Don't wait for the duck. Um, and I, the, like, the botched... Jaded reversal thing. She felt the entire air leave the building, and even when she was finishing with a real one a minute later, nobody had yet. Yeah. Nobody had yet found their enthusiasm for it. It just did not work on any level, really. And I was gutted to watch it happening for two people that I really like. Otherwise, yeah, can't disagree with that. Actually, one minor disagreement. I think the volume did go up for the finishes in that sort of WWE fan building sort of way um, but it wasn't enough to rescue this which was actively bad uh, my take I'm going to be generous because I, bo- I really like both performers and this just didn't flatter either of them mm. so I thought it was a bad program in terms of the creative in I terrible build as well That's bad gonna, matchmaking yeah. as well yep. bad matchmaking these wrestlers work so much better with really smaller opponents to bully um, so that was bad matchmaking bad creative bad match layout bad in ring performance but what Jade Cargill's usually great at, because no one confuses her for this great worker, some of her stuff looks amazing, like the pump cake, the jaded. When she can't really build a traditional heat spot in a compelling way, and whenever it goes vaguely competitive, counter-driven drama, like, it's so clunky, it's so telegraphed, it's so unrealistic. Um, but usually, she's really good at taunts and posing, like she does the Scott Steiner thing, and it rules, mm. when she'll, like, do something and just celebrate... I think she had real problems with her attire here, and she was constantly mm. self-conscious about it, and that meant that she was so busy thinking about that and not being able to play the crowd and get them to boo her that it just it couldn't be even a possible Jade Cargill match. This Ra- raise mask, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the raise mask thing. Um, so, like, even legends of this game, if their attire isn't working for them, a match can fall apart. <coughs> and really sort of not work on that basis. And it happened to someone who is 
not Rey Mysterio here. <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Uh, then it was time for the four-way for the Ring of Honor world title. Chris Jericho going in as champion, of course. Uh, it's JS Blackpool Combat Club, Club stuff. And I was like, I'm so done with all this. And then the match started, and I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally into this, Sige. Uh Shame about the, the the finish, but they corrected it, of course. Um, because they, uh, we were talking about this in the office, me and Hamlet earlier. Like, it's it, it's a shame that that's the, the, what, it, the, the thing people immediately will think of because it, it was the, one of the last things they saw with this match. But I also was a bit like, it's not a lot they could have really done. Like, Jericho's just not, as you said, springy as he used to be. He needs be. a Logan Paul leap to hit that. Yeah, he's got a And still be at head height to Judas effect um, Claudio. Uh, but these four men work so well together, Sige. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they still do this anymore, because I've not been in school for, what's that, 37? Well, I've not been in um, GCSE era school. What's 37 minus 16? 21, 21, 21 years oh, since yeah. I did my GCSEs, right? But my curriculum, we were encouraged. People have like started and graduated university in the times since we were last at school. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So on the curriculum anyway, um, back in the old days, <laughs> the old den days, not even the old days, yeah. the old den days at this point, um, you were encouraged as an English student to um, read a text and form a resistant reading of it, which means that it's not the authorial intention of the text, but inter- interpret something else from it because you don't go and do English and this kind of thing to read about books and read nice stories. Didn't get marked down if your analysis was in good faith. That was the point, wasn't it? You yeah. were, they would reward you for trying to see it's, something even if it wasn't. That's the thing. Really it's trying to get your analytical gears whirring um, to the point where if you do a resistant reading, which is not the author's intention or one that even is completely tight and makes sense end-to-end. But if you can pick different things from it, it just gets your analytical skills, like, really, really developed. Um, I have a resistant reading of the finish to this match, where it's (laughs) like, right, obviously the actual reading, there was no authorial intention here whatsoever. It's like Chris Jericho was absolutely gassed (laughs) towards the last two minutes of this match, that the finish didn't look good. And um, when... Claudio was trying to do his, right, I'm going to whip you into the barricades, and by the time you've moved your body and turned around, I'm going to uppercut your upper body, but it looks like your jaw. He kind of had to stop 
wait for Jericho <laughs> to go into the barricade and then halt his momentum and then just kind of do and it looked bad. But the resistant reading is at some point Chris Jericho is the carny sports entertainer who's opportunistic. Either he waits for either Concoxie's multi-man scenarios where he can wait for another wrestler to be actively distracted doing another move and then he can win the title, sneak away from it. He can use the belt, sneak away from it. JAS um, interference, sneak away with it. Eventually, they're going to do the gimmick of no seconds at ringside, um, disqualification, you could lose your title, or something that tells the, the, the viewing audience Jericho has to win fairly or he doesn't. And he can't because he's a, he's a carny sports entertainer at his core. The finish, a bit blown, kind of worked in the favor of the story if you have a resistant reading of it. If you don't, you can probably just laugh at Jericho because a lot of people don't like him. <laughs> I do, and I think it was great value in this match for like 90% of it. But it was Danielson and Claudio mm-hmm. who were obviously the most impressive. Brian Danielson is so great. They, again, think deeply about this. They do this bit where they linger on the handshake for a little bit too long mm-hmm. as if to say, I'm not going to do each other any favors here, and I kind of want to know if I'm better than you. They had this absolutely scintillating match within a match that was probably verging on four stars plus if it was, <laughs> of course it was. If they had a match and it was anything less than four, it would be like, well, they had an off night. That's just how good they are. But after they built all of this, they completely wrong-footed you with that beside you knee and the kick out. App, wrestling's all about when to do things. Remember when dickheads online say, Roman Reigns has only got five moves? Yes, you stupid idiot arsehole, but he knows when to do mm. them. That's why his matches, particularly in the Shield, were so great. It's all about when to do things. And the idea is that, and imagine building a match around the story beat and how good it must mean Claudio is. Right, Claudio, what you have to do, right, is you have to be absolutely amazing to like a supernatural extent <laughs> for two minutes of just being an impossible physical specimen. Then you need to launch Sammy out of the ring onto Jericho, and that's when the Basaiku 2.999 happens. Um, because Danielson has to realize, if I don't knock him out when he's not looking, it'd be a little bit unfair. He's going to win because he's the best physical yeah. specimen anyone's ever yeah. seen for the last two minutes of my life. Just imagine telling Claudio, oh, you've got to do this to make it. He's like, right, okay, yeah, <laughs> I can do that. Um, the storytelling here was great. The action was mostly great. The luxury of a multi-man is that if you can do it well enough, you kind of think, oh, that's a title change. But there isn't these things that exist to preserve a singles match but I thought they did as good a job as possible with a multi-man. And the only bad thing about Guevara's um, top-turn buckle shooting star press to the outside is that he barely connects. Claudio ate it, (laughs) and it was amazing. Um, He had loads and loads of fun with it. thought it was great. Loved loved the dynamic between Guevara and Jericho in this match as well. Yeah, uh, there's another time that they've done this in AW, and I can't remember the example, but one of my pet hates with the... Um, people that work together but are suddenly thrust into a three-way or a four-way, and WWE are terrible for this, is... Uh, terrible the, in general. The, the, heels, <laughs> the heels, like, one will go for the cover, then the other one will kick them off, and it's like, you haven't once spoke about this scenario, have you not? What? What are you doing? I'm going for the cover, but I was going for the cover. I, I hate it. It's so fake. And that was the one worry I had, specifically with Jericho and Guevara, and it never showed itself like that. And if it did, like, and Jericho's the perfect sort of human cartoon at this point to make that make sense. But the four of these working together, because the tag match on Dynamite was fantastic as well. The chemistry of these four made it all perfect. You knew that the Blackpool Combat Club 
it was they were kind of up for the fight anyway. You imagine they drill each other just as hard as in the dojo. Mm. In your Blackpool Combat Club law, you think, yeah, that's how go, that's how hard they go in training. So it stands to reason they would do this in the match. But Guevara and Jericho are brilliant together. I was gutted for the finish not working as it did because Cesaro has got Jericho's number every week now. He's beat him on TV twice. He's going to beat him at final battle. He's going to reclaim Ring of Honor's sword, whatever. And the line, I assume, was going to be something along the lines of, the only reason you got me is because I had my hands full with Sammy Guevara. Like, and, like that, that was all, like, and that, there's a literal interpretation of the thing we already know, and they've lost that a little bit because of the finish getting blown. The idea is he could still beat Chris Jericho with one hand tied behind his back, but he actually had two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing. I thought that was really, yeah. really good as well. Um, one more thing before we move on. Jericho was such great value on commentary. Did you watch Rampage? Yeah. Uh-huh. When, like, this, he was on commentary. So, you know that horrible thing that I bury WWE for, and people on Twitter say it happens everywhere. No doesn't asshole where it's like no one watches the TV it's just an inherent contrivance to professional wrestling no it isn't dickhead because they show the um, thing on Dynamite where Jericho's like I know you do the right thing Sammy and then Jericho walks off screen and then the interviewer I can't remember who it is turns around to Sammy and Sammy has the facial expression which all but says not really mate I want to win that title mm-hmm. so they show it and Jericho's on commentary and like <laughs> he goes huh did that Look like, nah, it's not nah, it's Sammy. We're com- competitive guys. <laughs> his his ego couldn't handle the fact that his sort of um, subservient second was going to do this. He was like, but he importantly registered and didn't completely know Solo. He was like, did I just see that he wanted to win the title? <laughs> nah, nah, that can't be right. Great. Yeah. In fact, he literally at one point in the match went, I'm going to pin him. You go and stand in that corner there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sammy later on was like, I'm not having this. And then he obviously addressed it later um, with the... <laughs> backstage promo and Jake Hager's hat uh, with oh more God. matches oh announced for, for this week, which we'll cover on the preview. I'll say this, right, for yeah, the Hager stuff's already... It's Jake Hager. It always wears a bit thin. But um, Jericho, in the build-up to the match, if you remember, Jericho had his um, suspicions about the uh, thing, like turmoil within the Blackpool Combat Club. And I was saying I thought it was going to be even more explosive because we'd all pretty much seen the regal turn come and I thought it's going to be this reckoning of sorts for the BCC. But it's quite cute that Jericho did spot that. He just spotted it in the wrong. He thought it was going to break down between Claudio and Brighton, and instead it broke down in the main event. Gorgeous, like, he was, gorgeous, he was gorgeous red herring that yeah. one. Uh, next up, Soraya's first match in, what, five years? Aye, and I was saying this on the preview. She'd had like six before that injury in WWE, so you're going back way further yeah, from yeah. that. Uh, Soraya against Britt Baker. Uh, what do you make of this, Hamlet? I... Uh, I don't want to come across as like being too generous because it wasn't great in places, but I got a lot emotionally out of watching Soraya get more confident as the match wore on. Um, it's it, We talk about rust in terms of the elite and everything, and you know that Kenny Omega's wearing a compression shirt because he's trying to pretend that he's injured. I can imagine it's completely nerve-wracking getting back out there with all the things, not just physically, but mentally, everything she's gone through to get back to that point. Mm. For her not to get blown up on her entrance alone <laughs> impresses me, and nothing happened early on that was um, too fake or dangerous. It was just careful. Mm. And I think that, again, they weren't helped by Britt Baker cutting the best promo of her career in the worst possible night. That was, like, history is not going to smile on this great babyface promo of Britt Baker because it was the worst thing she could have done. The build did not favour that this was a Daniel Bryan edge level comeback for a, for a wrestler. It didn't do that effectively. So they were wrestling against that early on, I think. But by the end, seeing Soraya get a bit more confident and the stuff they'd built in around her neck and head for that was extremely rewarding. And I got 
It didn't have the showbiz heat that I expected it to have at any point, really. Mm. But personally... Maybe a little bit with her brother when really he was just holding yeah, her brother. Going, very, very... Like, print. very subjectively, I got quite nice, warm and fuzzies out of this by the end, and I'm still on the hook for what more she can do. It just, yes. It just... They were always going to be let down by a very, very strange build in hindsight that I think AEW got wrong. Also, it doesn't help. Big picture, we'll get onto it obviously more later on, Sage, that they were on a card with one of the best women's matches I've seen in AEW. I yeah. Think. Uh, the, I, the build did them no favours at all because it's actually Baker's house, so much so that people have wanted to cheer for a, like, literally years, plural, before this. Soraya, who hasn't quite become attuned to the audience, yeah, hasn't right. really guessed that I'm the big WWE star and I'm coming in. Mm. I've heard this division's not very good. That's what I see online. So that didn't help at all. How have they undone the real story? Because it's not just a neck injury she's come back from, even though that's incredibly significant, like what a life she's had. So to strip away all that sympathy was just bad creative. And I was a bit generous in retrospect in the bill because I thought, well, it doesn't really matter because it's so big and the performances are so real, it did matter, and it mattered a lot, because the way I put it in star ratings, and again, I've done this the whole podcast, you're just going to have to forgive me, (laughs) is that (laughs) if you've got a certain magic as a character, an aura, or just this profound and immense level of respect, and we saw it literally later in the night, if you botch, who cares? It's Sting. No one gives a (laughs) Yeah. If people were bang into this and they told the correct story, which I believe was Soraya saying, look, I'm really happy to be back, but, you know, I'm a human being. I can't help but doubt myself. Then Serena Deeb, just a baby face who, quite frankly, uh, just a heel who isn't really that over with the audience, taunts her and does something horrific, worked, but horrific looking to her neck in the build. And then you portray Soraya as someone who's humbly setting about redeeming a career and coming back, and then she beats that gets a reaction. That gets a massive reaction. Um, but they didn't do that. And as a result, because people aren't really prepared to go on this journey with Soraya because they like Britt Baker a bit more, um, the atmosphere just wasn't ready to be generous to really, really quite flimsy offense at certain points on her. You can understand why. Let's never lose sight of why. Yeah. She's worried about her neck. She's worried about looking bad. Um, she did a crossbody, and it just looked so limsy and weak and if people were really behind Soraya in that kind of Riho way where she works being a little bit vulnerable and then fires up at the end people still have cheered that spot but because they're not with her yet it was just like oh god that was weak it's mm. so, kids popping for John Cena's featherlight offense yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't care because they, they don't just care. believe in him yeah mm. but that just did not happen here at all and it really just highlighted how weak and flimsy and tentative is probably the kind of word a lot of Soraya stuff li- looked here they told a nice story. Um, Baker certainly knew that she's fine. She's trying to work here. Um, cause some of her stuff looked really nice. Mm. Um, but in a typical, almost signature Baker way at this point, there was the Rip Cordy bit, and it just got lost. Yeah. And it's like, this should have been a nice pulsating brawl for me. And they told the wrong story and didn't mm. execute it particularly well. But the last three minutes really propelled it to above average just for me. I'm very interested in Soraya just mixing in with, like, the rank and file now. I'm a bit I, scared. I, 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 again, this is obviously... I she gets the confidence to lay it in. Yeah, I, I just, I'm very, very curious. This feels a bit like... Obviously, I'm not comparing, like, Soraya to these monster stars, but you know how with the celebrities disappear the night after WrestleMania, your Austin's, your Roxy, whomever. 
Like, I'm more interested. Like, yeah. oh, if only they were around just to see what they'd do for Backlash. I, I want to see Saray work Backlash now. Like, the Britt Baker match is done. It's out the way. She's just part of this, and she wants to get better in this division that she wants to help. I'm really interested to see the next match. Like it that should deep. be deep. That deep match that you've pitched is perfect, and you yeah. could do that now, and it would almost be just as successful, I would think, like because it would look better as well, and she'd be able to show that she's got some fight in her and stuff. And I'm really interested to see where they go with the next. And I know when we discussed this uh, on uh, on Wrestle Culture a few weeks back, Phil pitched a, a Baker win, but I think the Soraya victory was the right way to go mm. here, and it didn't affect my opinions of the the. the I keep wanting to say. World title, interim world title, it's the world title match that yeah. came a little bit later on with with uh, Storm and Hater. Uh, let's talk about the three-way for the TNT Championship. Wardlow finally defeated, although technically he wasn't, of course, uh, pinned or submitted here, Sige. It's just an excuse to bang three weeks of telly, <laughs> yeah. which I don't like at all. And this match for me just... I was so excited about Wardlow and Hobbs and what they could do three weeks ago. Yeah. And I'm sorry, the inclusion of Samoa Joe just ruined it. It just ruined it. It ruined a really cool match and um, a really cool pairing. And Samoa Joe, look, the mega fans are really going to s- almost resent, as opposed to forgive me for saying <laughs> this. He's, he's not Samoa Joe anymore. No. Book him in party matches and work around what are, are at this point significant limitations because I liked, right, even though I don't like the Fed very much, I quite like Samoa Joe and WWE main roster more than his NXT run, mm-hmm. actually. I thought he was a great promo and I thought he really worked hard. Those AJ Styles matches, I think, are really underrated. Wendy! <laughs> Wendy! Night-night! <laughs> And I thought the actual matches themselves, like, they knew they couldn't do the same blistering pace. Mm-hmm. They instead just beat the <laughs> out of each other. And <laughs> like the way you half censored yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Even that gear at this point has deserted Joe. He's not just sluggish. He's not just blowing. He's mistiming spots now. And this was just sluggish, not impactful. Look, that'd be nice. He took a header into the guardrail from a <laughs> Hobbs pounce that looked awesome. So I feel bad saying that, but he's not double champion material on a promotion with this roster. He could be party match. I would love to see him in a party match. That's his role now. It isn't that. This match is a monumental disappointment for me. Flashes of brilliance. Wardlow's aerials, the two of them look great. Hobbs's attitude when he had um, Wardlow in the corner, that chest-pounding spot, still great. I'd love to see that match again. I wouldn't want to see this one ever again. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't anticipate you know, when we were sat around here saying, "Who's who's the guy? Who is the person they're going to build up to finally take this TNT Championship off Wardlow?" And you, you and I have sat here and said, "Oh, Hobbs. Uh, you're at least buying very good near fall from Hobbs." Samoa Joe wasn't on that that list for me, and he he still isn't really. It, this was a good example of why sometimes we go in two footed on match to build a match booking. This was a match made weaker by the involvement of Samoa Joe. Uh, well, that's not fair strictly on him. It was a bit of a turkey of a match, but it was a storyline made weaker by the inclusion of Samoa Joe because you had a singles match already set up between Wardlow and Hobbs, uh, and it existed. It would appear now, this is just my assumption, to build up to Wardlow and Joe in a rematch at Final Battle, which also probably won't be as good as the Wardlow versus Hobbs thing. So you had this good thing, and then mm. instead you use one match to build up this match that wasn't very good at the pay-per-view, which, except, which itself exists to build up Final Battle, which also won't be that great. And the end result is you maybe trying to use Wardlow and whoever else you put on that card to, and Jericho, I guess, to jet fuel your Ring of Honor pay-per-view buy. To like 30,000 or something. Yeah. Um, 
and What's for, the point? for three weeks of bang average television for a predictable match with a predictable finish, or worse, Joe wins, and like Wardlow's then lost twice to a guy that is like thrashed in his presence, mm. and I just and it really it like it. It, it ruined this match. It did. It's not just on Joe, but all of that conspired yeah. to ruin this match. It's like I feel bad saying it. I think Joe's the coolest guy in the world. I think he still is. A lot. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like aura. He's got it out the ass still. And I think I, that's I the watched problem. it. I watched it vanished during yeah. this match. Though that's a thing. Like if you've got no, I was I was low on the Suzuki match for that reason. Like uh, it's pink actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I felt he's like he's not dynamic. He gets his aura back like that on ta- TV and at, and in angles. And in tags, put them in these environments and it just disappears. It's like if you don't even that, have that anymore, it's bad news. The Elite versus uh, Sting, Darby and Joe. Yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah. Be absolutely incredible. Uh, right, over to you on this one. Uh, no DQ tag team match. Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal versus Sting and Darby Allen. I think it's fair to say 2022 has been a fairly eventful and surprising year in the world of wrestling, but I still didn't have on my bingo card a TNA chant at an AEW show that was said in a complimentary way. Winter is coming, and so am I, as long as Jeff Jarrett remains on television looking as good, looking as, good as he does. As oh only God. he can. He's got himself back in world title form, baby. Uh, I, I, I couldn't believe it when he came out in his, in his gear. I was assuming last outlaw, Jeff Jarrett. And why has he come out in his gear? Because he looked fucking awesome, actually. Like, so, <laughs> can I uh, give myself into a world title? But Tony, Tony, put I'll lose to Max. I'd love to lose to Max. I bet you fucking would, Jeff. I bet you fucking would. Uh, this was incredible. Like... We're not taking victory laps. It's a Sting and Darby Allen party match. I love Jeff uh, Jeff Jarrett greater than House of Black, by the way, because it was far better than the one the, the last paper. <laughs> but people should have had more faith. They should listen to us. Like we also, from the moment he debuted, did we not say, "Well, this tag match is going to be absolutely fantastic"? And we didn't even pick the right guitar spot. No, we didn't even fantasy book the right guitar spot, and we still knew this would be amazing. Um, I love big lumbering giant losers. I love them. They're one of my favorite things in all of wrestling. Satnam Singh has entered in two of my all-time favourite big dumber and loser giant spots in three weeks. Catch. The bounce off Darby Allen's dive seemingly couldn't be tops. Yes, it could. He caught him from 100 million foot in the sky. And he caught him like you do. Sidrick will know this. You're, you're an amazing uncle, Wilbon. I've seen it. When you're hoying your kids around under their armpits. Yeah. He caught a full-grown-ass... I know it's Darby Allen. A grown-ass man in Darby Allen and just picked him up and hoied him. Like that bump that Darby Allen took on the arm. Oh, my God. Like the, oh, my God. You know that you always say about the, when they're doing like the All Japan strikes, the, the fleshiest part of the body. Satnam Singh located the hollowest part of the ramp. Yeah. yeah. That noise was the most hollow. A bit, oh, he's dead. Well, he's dead. His body's broken in half. Uh, the Jeff Jarrett guitar spot. I just watched it again and a bit, a bit like the first one. Again and again and again and again. The guitar at the back of the comment. Did you see Darby's red back afterwards? Yep. I, I don't think it was off the uh, paint off the guitar. <laughs> no. Nope. As to why he was bright red. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're going back into the left. D- Back into the left. Sanjay so, so doing laps around the ring. I oh, saw that, yeah. Just so running around because he hit the guitar. That was me. I was just running around my living room. I couldn't, actually. I'm still in a... <laughs> my body's in a wheelchair, actually. Just And not just because how, how great Jeff was. Jay Lethal um, and Darby Allen. I mean, we just talk about this over the desk. Where was any of that in single stuff? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Sting was Sting. This was... I don't want to... It's unfair on the workers when you say they have mastered this thing, this Sting and Darby formula, because... The six-man wasn't that great, and you can't just drop anybody in. But, I mean, when you have a timeless worker like Jarrett who knows what to do and a monster who is used to perfection as he was here, this was sublime. This was... I'm getting giddy thinking about oh, I will watch this match later tonight. Yeah, now I watched it yesterday. Right. I watched it yesterday. Yeah. Um, before and after the World Cup. Ugh, that was a waste of time. <laughs> the entire thing has been... Um, 
rewatched Death Triangle Elite, and I was like, right, I've got two more before I just pass out here. And I chose the party match. They had to loop Jeff Jarrett's music twice because he nearly got in a fight with that guy in the front row. He yeah. went right up. Proper Memphis heel like, oh, he didn't drink his face. <laughs> <laughs> this is just pure and bridal magic. And I, when this goes away, and they should only do it four times a year because if you start to see the wires of how they do it, and you kind of can, right? They look at the building and the blueprints and the arena map before. It's like, where can Sting jump off? How do we kind of halfway... You see how his head disappeared in the darkness? Yeah. I always wanted to make sure that... Get a spotlight on him. Is he all right? Is he all he right? tipped over the bodies there. So it looked like, it looked like he'd over-rotate a little bit, and then he stood up and went... Oh! <laughs> and it was absolutely fine. Uh, just this is absolute magic. I just think it's the best invention of all time. This entire portrayal of the Sting character doesn't get enough praise because it is just a blast. Yeah, Darby Allen doing the chest pound. I've just remembered that. Yeah. Oh, my God. This whole thing is what separates Tony Khan from other bookers for me. He can bottle pro wrestling magic. He can make you feel things when he's in peak form. And his impossible E-fed match graphic, I'm going to have Sting in a party match at 63 years old after he's had spinal stenosis. This is the mad genius, and I miss the mad genius. Mm. And this is what separates from him from literally any other booker. Like I'm not, I know Super Dragon has done this kind of thing in PWG. And he's that wild chaos. He's kind of like the architect of it. But this fuses nostalgia with that style and smoke and mirrors and corny stuff with Jeff Jarrett. It's just the most potent cocktail of, I take one sip, and that's why I drink a short cocktail. So I've got a terrible bladder and I like an instant buzz. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wrestling version of what is essentially a quadruple. Well, that I put on my Mai Tai. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's just the magic. And within... The magic, the smoke and mirrors, the incredulous, nostalgic violence, the ageless wonder that is Sting doing these things. It'll never stop being great. Quite frankly, the best minute of pure pro wrestling on the entire show might have happened in those exchanges between Jay Lethal and Darby Allen. I'm mm. thinking, where was this magic? You look like you're trying to break each other's bones <laughs> through the vehicle of futuristic pro wrestling. It was so physical. I think they must have realized, right, we've got a minute of this. Do you want to kill each other? Yeah, it looked awesome. The whole thing was awesome. Like, Sting draping. He looked like he was carrying a rolled-up carpet <laughs> with Satnam Singh. It's like, I know from experience how hard that yeah. is when you've moved house to get, like, a rug. It's like, that's what he was dealing with. And uh, this, just the feeling this elicits at 37 years old should be impossible, and it isn't, and I'm so grateful for it, and I enjoy it so much when it's happening. It's what separates Tony Khan from... Like your ghettos, your Kreskis, your Watts's, right? Your Ryan Wards and Triple H's. Like, just the best times you've ever had watching wrestling. I don't have a time like this. You can only do it four times a year. Yes. Well, so this is the thing, right? I, I agree with that. You can probably only do this four times a year. But in the same way that FTR have kind of rightfully argued their place about, hang on, why are we not getting the tag title shot? I am at the point now where I do want to just have a look at it. I want to see Sting and Derby. Can can you drop them in the tag division, albeit briefly, for maybe one... Grand Slam 2021, FTR versus Sting and Derby Allen. Yeah. And Sting did most of the work. Yeah. You can. You can do this. Um, the dark, When they did the trios match with Punk for the night, the Brothers in Paint, that wasn't gimmicked really. It was just that they were all in you know matching face paint and that. I want to have a look at that just for a little bit without the novelty wearing off. And what got me there was, you know, the... Um, NXT, the Caden Carter and the Casey Catanzaro 450. Yeah. The, like the coffin scorpion death drop. <laughs> 
is an awesome tag finisher. Like, Sting just holding you there. I'm going to drop you in a second. This movie kills everybody. By the way, it's going to have Darby Allen's back <laughs> on top of it at the same <laughs> Terrifying. time. Terrifying. That's an amazing tag finisher. And I was like, hmm, is there a run? Is there the shortest run? Is there a, a nostalgia tag title run for Sting where he gets this one last belt with his little buddy? Imagine Sting with a belt. Yeah, that's it. I, it, I was talking to myself thinking, oh my maybe yeah. got to do this. Even just brief, maybe you do the party match at the paper where they win the belts and then they're taken off them pretty quickly. TNA used to put the world title on Sting to have him lose it very quickly afterwards. Mm. But the moment of him winning a world title, was, I cannot believe Sting just won another world title. They knew the value in that. Uh, speaking of big world title wins, Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm oh, was yeah. next. Uh, talk about recency bias. I'm going to have to go back and watch the Thunder Rosa Brick Baker match and decide whether or not this is my favorite women's match in AW. Very partial to Rio and Nyla Rose. Yes, the top three for me are Rio versus Nyla Rose 2. The first one was Magic Atmosphere. The second one was Magic Atmosphere and a really tight, mm. great match. Baker Rosa. And this, oh my God, this match, I loved it. it. It worked me so well as well, because there was a point where, there was two belt shots in this, wasn't there, to, mm. to Tony Storm. There was a point where she got hit with one belt shot and kicked out, and I immediately went, grumpy. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> come on, put the title on, hey, you've done this, and you've done the belt shot, and she's kicked out. And then, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Love this. Love, love the result, but the match itself, yeah, I don't want to disregard, just for the sake of saying I'm happy that Jamie Hayes is world champ interim world champion, but what a match these two put together with all the bells and whistles that came with it as well. We say, or I say, relentlessly at this point, there's a good and bad version of everything. This was the best possible version of all of Tony Khan's generic North American wrestling promoter excesses in terms of interferences and all the rest of it. Did you see Rebel Not Reba's reaction yeah. to getting kicked out? It was the hammiest, funniest thing. <laughs> It was amazing. This match was so good. It was so physical. It was so competitive. It was so wonderfully obvious from their body language, the connection of every move, the way they paced it, the way they registered it, that these two women wanted to have the match of their goddamn lives, and I think they did, and I think it was absolutely glorious. And, uh, oh, boy. Like, structurally, didn't do anything that inventive. It was a back and forth where one was better than the other, but she got cheated. That was the story here, but it was just executed so sublimely. And I want to put over Tony Storm because it was Jamie Hayter's night. Everyone wanted it to be Jamie Hayter's night. Tony Storm, when they did the finisher theft trope in Ripcord Lariat. Oh, my, yeah. <laughs> Jamie Hayter's face. I thought, oh, my God, her face is going to explode yeah. when I see her kick out. It was it was the best near fall, and there was like 28 near falls. Yeah. And that was the best one. <laughs> the amount of near falls they packed into this hamphlet is right. Hamphlet is right. was just absolutely remarkable. I want to put over Tony Storm specifically because I felt it's harsh when someone's just done such a good job and you're only really guilty of being slightly less popular than the person that they like a little bit more in that moment. Same thing in the main event. I just felt a little bit, it's cruel. Tony Storm's done such a great job. Just be a bit nicer. Um, but you go there to show your support for the people you like. I can't really blame them for that. Tony Storm in anti-NXT face, the second use of it in the night, she looked like it was disappearing in front of her eyes and she was devastated by it. I love that. I love that desperation. The realism in her face. Oh. Her facial expression game in this match was absolutely incredible. The bloody nose helped as well, didn't it? I think that when you're wearing a scar of the war, I, yeah, Tony thought, like, I think that's the visual. You know, often you think about that one match of the visual. I think the visual of the, the that specific two count of Tony Storm's exasperation, what more can I do? There was a, it was really, like, the cheating was really nicely constructed. I thought um, having Britt Baker come from the camera's blind spot 
made for a cool visual because you've seen the rebel thing not work. So you assume yeah. at this point, oh, well, Brit's not getting involved. She's lost tonight. So let's have her come out and them all be completely united. You're also waiting on edge a little bit for some sort of swerve turn until you see just how committed Baker and Rebel are to hate winning. So I thought this played with, um, like the the finisher kick out stuff or the near fall stuff, never once, for me personally, my experience of watching, never once felt overplayed because I was biting on all of them. Mm. And I think that's why people came to love that in the first place. There was once a time when all of that was organic. It was like, what? What? Okay. I would probably, it, there will be something before this that predates this, but I go to something like Austin Rock where it never felt abusive because you were just hanging on the end of every two count. And now it gets done all the time and it feels fake or you're just like, oh yeah, the world, you know, it's not going to be that one. Like when was that? When was the last time an RKO beat anybody or something? You know, yeah, you know, you're yeah. gonna go to something else. This never once felt fake. This is the killer blow. This is the killer blow. This is the, right down to Britt Baker getting bundled off by the momentum of the fight that was taking place and taking the turnbuckle with her. I thought that was super, yeah. super elegant. This is such a fight that everybody's getting taken out by it, even if she's there to help her at the end. And it felt that AW are really good at booking these finishes, even when it's cheating, even when it's. Um, you know, the sort of thing that could read as a banana skin. Hater had to still mm. do a lot of it by herself. She had the advantage of them trying to cheat and that didn't work and the turnbuckle was very much still, I've got to control this win. Yeah, it sounds weird, this, because it sound, I've been spoiled too much now by AEW to the point now where I'm like, not to disregard it, but when we sit here on a, on a, on a Wednesday and go like, there's some really good matches coming up on tonight's telly, there's a bit of me that's like, is that it? Like, it's ridiculous yeah. to this prospect to be saying that. It take me back, you know, five years, imagine saying that to yourself. But now I'm just so excited about, like, it's such a generic bit of copy I always write for you guys. Of like, what next for insert person's name? And there's, like, four, five, six groups of people that I want to find out. Like, it's not just like, oh, we've got a new world champion. Who's going to be next mm. in line for him or whatever? There's, you know, like you say, there's there's, there's all this now with, with hate, not just hater being champion and Tony Storm kind of being screwed out of it, Baker's there like, well, you wouldn't have done it without me, mm -hmm. blah, 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 MJF. First, that's elite. really important, that, because it's the first time in, the, in a long time their dynamic, that relationship has changed. Baker, rather than needing hater, is suddenly she can argue that, well, you, you wouldn't have done it without me. And she hasn't had that much confidence in their relationship for quite a while. Tony Storm, you know, like, it's only been all out that she's been this weekly defender of the in, an interim title. Felt like I was watching the collapse of like a twelve year Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's had like you would. She like in my wrestler of the year, and it's like it's only really been like a two three month period. But what a difference she's made to making this division feel whole. It's the best period this women's division has ever had, and she's been integral to that. When was she getting creamed by Charlotte Flair? Was that like a year ago. This, this yeah, I'm sure it was. Year. I think it wow. was. Wow, they were looking at maybe like a Royal Rumble. Yeah, like one off throwaway title match for her. Anyway, uh, right, let's move on to the uh, tag team title match. It was the acclaimed versus Swerve in our glory, and I suppose I should say R.I.P. to Swerve in our glory. And despite the fact that Keith Lee in this match, sorry to jump to the finish here, in when I'm not going to use the pliers to break people's fingers, you know, um, there was still a bit of me that thought, you might slide back in here and go, you know what, I've changed my mind. I do actually want to kill the acclaimed. I was the doomsday guy with the acclaimed and I was willing this to be Keith Lee just embracing. They were so cruel to him on that, on the rap video. <laughs> like they really went into foot. Keith Lee would be justified in absolutely decimating these fools. I was wrong. And they gave me all of that. That was why he was willing to decimate them because they were complete arseholes. I might have to go back on my take about the Billy Gunn segment being stupid because Keith Lee like was all of us. He was looking at 
clipping somebody's finger. Are you have you lost it, you prick? It's not just cheating in the context of a wrestling match. Mm. I'm trying to win your titles back, and even the guardrail stuff, like as nice as that was, cutting somebody. How is worth? Like that's where all of us, when it aired on Rampage, were going. How is worth? What? Aye. And Keith Lee did it. What? Think cutting somebody's fingers off. This is preposterous. I'm out. And the way that, like, I thought it was. I'd hesitant to use this word. I thought it was quite beautiful, actually. The way in which he picked Bowens up, and it wasn't a swerve turn, and it was, in fact, I'm picking you back up, even keel, and off I go. I thought it was lush. I would have never in a million years called that would be the way that that would... Ever. It wasn't... It was better for it being non-violent, because mm. that's Keith Lee's entire problem with swerve. He's, he, at his core, he's a non-violent guy who just happens to be a pro wrestler for a living. That's like the, the dichotomy of Keith Lee. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman, but he will fight when asked to fight. You know, I went paid to. Hmm. And I just thought that was... A gauntlet laid down. Never in a million years would I have imagined that would be how the swerve and our glory fall apart. It's just by him bringing Anthony Bones back and, like, evening it and then walking away. I, I loved it. And I don't, honestly, uh, why a cut a law? I thought he was going to split him. I thought he was going to break him in half. Because what happened was, right, because I love swerve. I think he's an AEW champion yeah. in waiting. I love him that much. But when he gets those cutters out, I'm Keith Lee. I'm going to... Put them away, dickhead. Put them away. This is a wrestling match. I can tolerate you going through a table. You are not going to cut somebody's finger off. You're not going to, like, put it through their eye. It, that's a, it's like somebody bringing a gun out. It yeah. just, this is not going to happen. It feels stupid. And Keith Lee agrees. And that's why the team have fallen apart. Because you've comp- you've lost it, mate. You've absolutely lost it. Like, you've made, this, you've made my position untenable. And I just, I bought that. And all of that is to say, I thought the first half of the match was a little bit dry. But they got there by the end. Yeah, I, I, I'm constantly hooked by the very s- simple cheat code of one of the acclaims heard, actually. Like, that's <laughs> it. And I just like, I love Anthony Bowens. We, we put him over all the time. I think he's an absolutely sensational wrestler. I don't want to split him apart, but I think he could be a, a, an amazing mm-hmm. singles as well. Uh, I, I don't know why I, I got, you know, the way you get for white gear, I got for pink Kinesio tape. <laughs> I loved it. But yeah, what did you make of it, Sige? Um, I really enjoyed this towards the end. But me and Hamlet were talking about this, and I wrote the exact same thing in Star Ratings, which you can read right now on whatculture.com <laughs> slash WWE. I don't understand, right? Ain't broke, don't fix it, break it. Which is what Tony Khan appears to have done after finding the ultimate cheat code oh, yeah. with his pay-per-view sequencing. Put the Sting Party match in the semi-main. Yeah, mm. put it in the semi-main because it's like because it's over in this surreal flash of magic and it's so exciting, but it's not too over long. It's just to pick me up. It's like right, you've had a lot of beer. You know what's going to help more alcohol? How? It's a shot. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> it's a little. It's like all right, okay, back again. We can go for more here. And he's mastered that, and he should have swapped these matches around. Because I think this would have had more of a chance. I'm really glad they got there in the end. And they told a really elegant story. And they eventually, they made them calm. <laughs> they made them calm. Um, but it was a weird choice to do, out of the trilogy, this was the most elegant, slow burn, character-driven match where everything was building towards this big thing. Because the all-out one was, oh my God, they're fighting out the skins for 20 minutes. Mm. And that made it heartbreaking when they didn't win because I don't think you could have told this match and the way it was paced all out. It just wouldn't have worked. It was 20 minutes of a career best performance from at least one wrestler who isn't considered a five-star guy. Max Caster, incidentally, is the most improved wrestler on the planet this Mm. year. He's so much leaner and dynamic and springy, whereas previously he was 
quite frankly, there for the right spots and really fun to watch. Yeah. But he's got something that I never thought he had. But they really went with the... Because the whole thing that worked about the first match is they're wrestling out the skins. They're wrestling out the skins. This is amazing. Oh, Buggery's been injured in the midst of it. So that added that emotional element to the first match. The second one, frankly, was 14 minutes of back and forth to get to the result that people wanted. The match was almost secondary. This was a really mature, elegant, slow burn. These people have got an emotional connection with these characters. Let's really drag this out. Mm. Placement was weird, but they got there in the end. The guardrail stuff was just tremendous, the way that he tried to save him. And then Keith Lee was the one who ended up eating a great spot. And there's one really cool Keith Lee's the best moment where his face was completely blocked by, I think it was Bones' body, but he still could see where to kick <laughs> cast her in the gut and then do the power bomb. It's like even when he's blind, he's this incredible wrestler <laughs> who can beat two people up at once. They are so good at getting Keith Lee over mm. and it's really quite easy to do that. Just let him be Keith Lee and think about these things. Right. <laughs> Time for the main event. John Moxley <laughs> versus MJF for the world title. Um, me and Andy were talking about this on the news actually, Sige, because we were saying going into this, um, there were three possible results, I think, that we all kind of agreed on. And none of them involved John Moxley winning. Mm. <laughs> like, go off and have a nice holiday, John. You've earned it. But it was all, like we said, babyface MJF win. Mm. Heel MJF win. I dug my licks. A- aces and eights. Yeah. Firm stuff. And then this one, which was the perfect result, in my opinion. MJF is world champion. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't done so already, check out the... The Q&A from the uh, the media scrum, less of a Q&A, more of a just A, and then <laughs> leave, um, whilst dropping some of your favourite catchphrases as well. Um, Sige, um, understandably, I'm rather happy about this result. How do you feel about it all? Uh, I thought this was magnificent. I think it was the correct result. They've got Starks in Texas. They can do Kingston. They can have the most sympathetic hangman page might have ever been. I can understand why they went with this decision, the Rock 1998 decision, when you've got that many baby faces. AW doesn't have an Austin, but they've got at least three that I can think of just below that Austin level. Well, several notches below, for being honest, because he was like an industry-defining mainstream megastar. But you know what I mean? They've got people who they mm-hmm. can yeah. confidently go with in those main event roles um, on pay-per-view. The first second of this match was so awesome. It was so awesome. So wonderful to whatever the story was and it was uneven but at his core if you could just approach this through the lens of John Moxley he doesn't care about the fame that much he doesn't care about what he just thinks that MJF is a fake bitch who isn't as hard as he is <laughs> and he kind of slapped him on the teeth <laughs> and it was like it was just a day of slap almost on the mouth and the teeth not across the face yeah, it was that's so worse, disdainful like, right you're a bitch what, what, like, what have you got and then what he got was this really impressive, really well-sold, elegant, babyface performance. Um, and they distributed the big spots so well. As I wrote on Twitter and on whatculture.com slash WWE, <laughs> sorry. This kind of had no right to work because it was this really immaculately paced, big, traditional-style main event after all of the things you've just seen. But because they're such master storytellers, they're so over characters that they had them. They made them come. <laughs> and I just loved that first second. I loved the way that 
the whole thing was premised on, and how wonderful is this giving the story between MGF and Regal, is MGF tough enough? That Are yeah. you tough enough? No. You tapped like a bitch the second you got put in that bulldog choke. You got it out the figure four because you can't be that much of a bitch. You're a main event level champion. The bitch champion ratio, even for a heel, <laughs> has to be in a fine enough balance. But when the time to gut it out arrived, he did not gut it out. And if you watch the first ever before Claudio, before Utah, Blackpool Club Combat Club, Blackpool Combat Club <laughs> promo, William Regal essentially sucks Danielson off for 10 minutes and then says, yeah, Moxie's really violent. <laughs> and they've been, obviously, through the interim, the punk, the chaos, the everything, I think ultimately it was always going to go the way of Regal turning on Mox because he said two things about Mox while putting over Danielson as this very pointedly this majestic best ever pro wrestler. Yeah, this uh, he's an old sort. He's very violent. He almost ended my career. Yeah, I knew I was done when Moxie got in the w- in the ring with me. Oh, he's very violent. He's never put him over as much as he has Danielson. It's been a consistent thread. I'm adamant that they've always had something between breaking up Regal and Mox, and they did it in this wonderful vehicle, this immaculately paced main event match. But they've never, they've always hidden in plain sight. <laughs> you've retired me, with the subtext being, I will pay you back for mm. that. And uh, yeah, it's been majestic long-term storytelling in the Blackpool Combat Club. Fascinated about the permutation of MJF, Blackpool Combat Club, JAS. How's it all going to work? Wednesday's appointment TV. Mm. And isn't that fitting to strap up the guy who was the king of episodic appointment TV in such a great match, in such a real good slow burn match? There is still an element of I took my licks because ultimately he's a heel, the firm are heels. Maybe there's an aces... I will take aces and eights adjacent, hard for me to say, material if it's one monumentally convoluted red herring to Deadly Games, Steve Austin, John Moxley. I, I hope they don't, because they don't need to now. I hope they just leave that alone. Um, the firm are already geeks. They don't need to be. Yeah. No one's going to take them seriously of, oh, that MJF will get him back. No one cares. There's a nice bit of detail as well in um, MJF, Moxley, LTST. Of and obviously that was within this match because obviously Moxley was able to hit the um, paradigm shift this time and MJF was able to kick out. Mm. But the shouldn't hit last time. The the last time when he lost, his rationale was I need to form a stable in order to win the world title, and that failed. So what he's learned is I actually need to bring I pull one apart. It's not about forming a stable; it's about breaking one down. He tried that with the pinnacle and the inner circle, and that didn't work. So he said, well, I'll bring down the. Uh, Blackpool Combat Club, and that's what he's done. He's got in and amongst it with Regal. So he's, I think that's like, I now don't want him to need the firm because it's almost like, well, Stables wasn't the answer. MJF has been searching for the answer from the very beginning. It's Cody to get in, and then once I can use him and abuse him, oh, God, that isn't the answer either. This and this, it's punk. I've got to like, I've got to deal with this problem with my childhood. Oh, God, that's not it. I'll just keep going and keep mm-hmm. going. And now he's found the answer. Um, there was a spot to the point about Moxley was bang right, and MJF wasn't up to it where he wasn't, like, the, the announcer said that, that it was biting, and then he did go and back and bite him later, but I don't think the first one was biting. He was scrubbing him with his beard, as if to say, even my beard is rougher yeah, than yeah. you are. <laughs> even my beard is more ready for a fight than your stupid face, because I'll just rough you up with it. Um, we did the Dynamite review on Thursday, and there was a very... Uh, it just created a strange vibe, Moxley's attitude. But we talked about this, and I, I was confident that the match would 
it took three days for that promo on Dynamite to be fantastic. John Moxley has a baby face. He's right. 100% of the time. <laughs> it's really hard to be right 100% of the time. John Moxley comes out on Wednesday to booze because people have fallen in love with MJF. I don't get it. Guy's a bitch. And then, sure enough, he's right. He didn't get it. Guy's a bitch. And the only thing he didn't count on was William Regal, which we kind of... Which we all knew that was... sneer over his yeah, shoulder that, yeah. Was that possibility that he should worry about him. Uh, so down going down the line here, when he comes back off his well-earned holiday, the whole point is going to be, yeah, well, you did beat me, and Regal is going to be blooded up for this. But I wasn't wrong, was I? Guy's a bitch. Second he had the belt on him, and he walks in the press conference. And what he does, he doesn't... What he effectively says, like, you were all fools. Here was me putting over, putting over this asshole, like, points to Tony Khan. What he's actually saying is, John Moxley was the only person that was right. Mm. Like I fooled ninety nine percent of the hundred people in the room, but the one percent is always John Moxley. Like so, that's really good protection. That character to not come out on the Wednesday and be like, you know what, MJF, all right, I'll <laughs> give you the fight of your life. He didn't, and he was right not to do it. From March twenty twenty onwards, I never thought I'd have this opinion. I'm so ready for the John Moxley heel turn. I've mm. felt it for the last yeah. month and a half that I when he when he blooded up ten was pretty cool. Yeah, that was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Like that was more than pretty cool. It was yeah. fucking awesome. Is he dead under there? I think <laughs> that he wants to turn heel. Yeah. He was loving it. The Johnny Cash finger to the camera when he was walking yeah. out. Oh, my God. He yeah. was absolutely loving this. And maybe it's what he needs. It's always the same with wrestling. They go on the opposite direction to their moral compass when their characters are growing stale. And, oh, funnily enough, when people start liking them again, they'll, it's all very contrived. And I wanted him to be the sheriff forever. But, my God. People were starting to, even before it was becoming apparent that MJF was really his next opponent, people were like lower on it. Um, the the babyface act, it's a shame because he was only just getting really hot again this year as a babyface. But if people can fall in love with this heel, John Moxley, mm -hmm. and on this evidence, they will. That might be what he needs to be the tip, 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 top guy again. Um, because I think after Grand Slam, it was like he just felt safe. You never want that guy to feel safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm because he's such a dangerous animal, but I think that he was becoming the safe Steve Bruce establishment pick. And I think people <laughs> really kind of disconnected from him a little yeah. bit after Grand Slam. Turn him heel and then he can be this again. He loved it. Yeah. He was loving it and I was loving it too. Yeah. There's a nice um, detail with obviously the only match MJF has had since coming back was Wheelie Eater. And Regal could even say, hey, Moxley, it's not really you. I'm angry with Moxley. I looked at that complete loser, Wheelie Uta, getting pied by MJF. And I, I realised that I picked the wrong guy back in NXT. And I've picked the wrong guy again. It's not it's nothing personal, John. It's, uh, it's, this, it's this little idiot that you went to war with. And MJF beat him in seconds. Max Max is the new guy. Even if it's not that, it's this entire time I've wanted to do a long calculated <laughs> yeah. plan for you knocking me off my perch and yeah. ending my career. But there's a million ways that can go with it. Did you see MJF selling in the press conference? Yes. I just thought he needed knee surgery the next day. <laughs> Unbelievable. And the way that that was set up as well, of he, uh, he did quite a few tombstones on this show, but he hits a tombstone and they commentary were great here in terms of pointing out that oh, it's, it would have been probably all right, but he's hit the hardest part of the ring and his knee pad things oh, just slipping out that and, that's and then Moxie targets that but anyway enough about that loser let's talk about the winner MJF um, who yeah tosses away the beautiful diamond ring for the beautiful brass nooks and I thought oh right okay cool win all the next few diamond rings and just melt them into like an infinity gauntlet <laughs> for him to wear like the ultimate knockout it's like those are the diamond ring times the uh, times the brass nooks and even just something as simple as like like you say he's selling his injury when he's got that promo in the press conference is just sensational of course but the bit of like you know 
Well, my genre's on dynamite. Oh, let's go Right. And he's in there, oh, bloody hell, MJF's world champion. What's going to happen? Et cetera, et cetera. And he's, he's doing the thing going up the ramp. And some um, some loser from productions there, and he like goes, oh good, help me up the ramp. And then it's like, right, it's the go home shot. Get the fuck out of my shot, you prick. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll just sit on the ramp. I don't care. I've got my belt. And uh, did yeah. the Snow Angel? Did the CM Punk? Oh, Snow Angel. It's, it, it's, but it's to a point now. You mention it there about how they need um, how they needed a heel of, of of MJF. He for me right now, and this may seem hyperbolic and incredibly biased, but I don't really care. He for me now is when they started with Tribal Chief Roman Reigns, it's like, right, you've got, probably, they should for a while now put the title on him. I mean, you can do the whole bidding war of 2024 gimmick, like that sort of thing. You could leave it, so you could leave it on him for the next year. But now it's about like, right, who are they going to build up? Because you could say, yo, Hangman Page or whoever it may be. But it's like, that's the big question now is, and we'll probably sit down and talk about this in a podcast relatively soon, of like, who do they build up as the big baby face that can finally overcome everything? Not just... Regal and MGF shenanigans, but he's a brilliant pro wrestler. He doesn't need he doesn't need to be not my words, your words, a bitch, because he's just a generational talent. And uh, yeah, what a hell of a, a hook they could have advertised. As I said, for me, they have advertised quite a lot of enjoyable matches over the coming few weeks for uh, for AEW. But they could have advertised absolutely nothing for Dynamite this week, and I'd be like, this is like you say one of the most important episodes of Dynamite for fans to watch. Yeah, I can't wait for Wednesday. This is the first time I've been like, hurry up, hurry up, yeah. hurry up. Do you remember his celebration when he beat Punk? What's he going to do? He's won the title. But that was when he necked on with his last and they carried him out on the yeah, chair yeah. thing like the... the motorboat everyone in uh, <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. Do you hell? That's because it would have been, obviously, in yeah. punks, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let us know your thoughts on Full Gear 2022 on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, me and Hamflet are going to review SmackDown. Then we're all going to be back to preview Monday Night Raw. And, of course, join us on Wednesday for our preview of AEW. Yeah, yeah, mate! <laughs> uh, but for now, this will be the Full Gear 2022 review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.